I think what's what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, you your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zella, VP of Marketing at IronSource. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest that you head out to appsflyers.com. Hello, everybody. We are here, the three of us, myself, Joe Kim, Chris Petrovic, and Eric Kress, and we're starting a new kind of series. Maybe it'll be a series. We'll find out. And we'll just talk about some of the big moves and potential strategic moves that may be happening by some of the bigger players in the industry. So, but before we move further, Chris, can you talk a little bit about your current role? I, there's been some news about you joining Fun Plus, but maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you're doing over there. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, I am now, uh, I don't, you can't tell from <laughs> the, the screen behind me, but uh, my family and I moved to uh, Switzerland in the Zurich area as of the new year to start as chief business officer for Fun Plus. Uh, our corporate headquarters is, is here. Um, you know, people may or may not know a lot about this company. Uh, you know, I'd like to refer to it as the biggest little company in mobile that, that nobody's heard of. Um, but they've been in business for 10 years. Uh, Andy and team have built a great decade-old business uh, in gaming, started out on web, moved to mobile. Um, they're a market leader in the Forex strategy space with three hit games, 1,700 employees around the world. We have studios in Japan, China, Russia, Sweden, business office in Barcelona. We've got operations in the U.S. and obviously headquarters in Switzerland. So it's a pretty big operation. Uh, Tremendously passionate group of game makers that focus on people and product, and it's just super exciting to uh, be here as a as a cog in the wheel to help them grow. And obviously, with uh, the good fortune that I've had of learning uh, my way through uh, Kabam and most recently Zynga, uh, you know, I'm excited for what's what's at stake here for the company. So, it should be a fun fun year and a half, two years, and beyond. All right. Yeah, but, and the little known fact about Fun Plus is that first of all, Andy is a freaking animal. Right, the guy's a machine, dude. He never yep. stops. He already built a billion dollar business and sold it. And now he's built a multi-billion dollar business with the games that they're doing right now. So it's pretty, he's a pretty impressive dude. And uh, he has a lot of cool people and great people around him, including Shanti and Graham who are running uh, the investment arm uh, for them. Uh, what is are, that they're, are, they're separate now, right? They, they, they are separate, yes, but they are affiliated to some degree. But yeah, they started, they spun out and started a separate fund called Transcend, exactly. Right, got it, got it. Yeah, Andrew Shepard anyway. just got hired there to, to start Fund 2. So. <laughs> Shepard. Yes. <laughs> He's back. Back, Dude, baby, love it. He was, he was gone for too long, you know, but he had a baby. <laughs> and I, See, I my theory is that after six or eight months of having a baby, he's like, get me the fuck out of here, right? <laughs> Let's get back to work, you know? <laughs> or, he, or he's like freezing his ass off in Austin, one of the two, you know? Like yeah. he's got to get yeah, yeah. back in the game. Yeah, it's good to see him again. Yeah, well, good All luck right, there. So I, I think you're in a good spot. Hey, thanks. Yeah. But diving into some of the big industry topics, I thought we could start with EA's acquisition of Glue. And Eric, I know you've talked a little bit about this, but before getting Chris's take, 
Good move, bad move. Could you, uh, what's, your, what's your take on this? Again, I mean, I have to st stop myself from throwing up in my mouth when I think about the valuation. But besides that part, I think for EA, given where they were in mobile and have, you know, really kind of little resource and little product, uh, makes sense, right? Jeff Karp can say he's actually doing something and, you know, they grow their revenue. They almost double their revenue in, in overnight. They get three access to three, two, and a half maybe big franchises. Um, and then they have the optionality of using tap sports for other sports that, that they, they license potentially. And also maybe getting some synergies with other projects they're working on. It's just, I don't think glue has that much depth of development. And then, but the second part and uh, is that I think glue was looking down the barrel of a gun, like they had nothing. Right. And so like, next year was going to be really tough for them to grow post post ID post IDFA, you know, post COVID uh, their products in the pipeline were garbage and they're having, they're having um, issues with design homes. So they didn't have a choice really. I think the only way they could actually improve shareholder value over the next 12 months was to sell themselves, you know, and I, I would not say that for Zynga, right? I think Zynga is still in a really good position. So. What do you think about EA acquiring glue to be their sort of M and A platform? And that that's kind of how, no, no one there, wanted to that, work for that view. No, no, no one wanted to work for glue to begin with. You know, I mean, I think they 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 were not well like, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of interest at, at, in glue generally speaking from a from a perspective of, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I they have more resource. You know, always having more resources is good. It frees up other people to do other things. You know, but I, I imagine a lot of those execs are going to be gone from glue within the next six months, if I were to guess. And then before the acquisition, Zynga was raising a bunch of money and there was a lot of speculation that a $2 billion target, who could that be, is probably mm -hmm. glue. But Chris, I know, Chris, to the extent you could talk about your, your thoughts in terms of EA's acquisition of glue, what do you think? And what, wouldn't it have been better at Zynga instead of EA? <laughs> <laughs> So look, I mean, I, I think Eric, you know, Eric is a master at the blunt force uh, uh, assessment, which is spot on. But I think there's also nuance that needs to be appreciated, which is, you know, um, my 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 guess, without having talked to anybody about this other than just just myself, is that there was a lot of pressure on EA to actually deploy capital in mobile because they've been dormant right. and absent from the M and A cycle for a very very long time. The interesting thing is, is that you you know the the conventional wisdom in the industry is that you have leadership that is a combination of not interested in the mobile sector, um, and and uh, value oriented in terms of using capital, and so you you have a deal that flew in the face of both of those, which to me speaks of external pressure, market pressure on them to do something, right? And I think they had a known quantity with Nick and team that were former EA management in their backyard. So the, the integration was going to be easy. It wasn't like buying a, you know, something halfway around the world and having to manage it remotely. It was, you know, uh, it was a known quantity. It was, it, it made sense at this moment in time, based on the existential pressures that they were having in the market. And it checks a box at the very least. And at the very most, it gives Jeff and team a platform from which to do more. Um, and they're going to need to do more. Um, you know, I think the synergies can be easily realized. I think, you know, EA is a big enough company where if the acquisition doesn't do well, you can hide it. And if it does do well, you can highlight it. Um, whereas in a smaller company, I think those, the, you know, the, the good and the bad would be a lot more obvious, especially the bad. Um, I think, you know, anytime you're talking about a control premium on taking a company out from the public markets, that becomes harder pill for some to swallow than others. Um, I personally, if, you know, if and when I ever would have done a financial analysis for, with my team and I on that, I would not have paid that for glue. But, you know, like Eric knows, and you know, there's, you know, in the market, there's always a willing buyer and a willing seller that are willing to meet at a price. And so that was just in my mind, just a confluence of factors that led to the deal um, and, 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 and why EA won out versus others. Yeah. Right. And, I, and I'll just, I'll just say a couple of things is that like from the investment community, people that I talk to on a regular basis, uh, they're already talking synergy, right? So there's a certain PR value of doing transactions like this that kind of allow them, as as he, Chris, most eloquently said, is that if it works out well, they got all kinds of PR. If it doesn't work out, they'll talk about other things, you know. <laughs> so like, and so like, there is right now there is this PR like the synergies about sports and like you know design home and all this other stuff. Them working on potentially working on FIFA and stuff, which seems complete nonsense to me, but um, 
but it works. Like they can spin it, and that's how they're spinning it with investors, and, and it works. Even though the deal is super, it's uh, super dilutive, right? There's just no way a 10% margin company going into a 30% margin company could be accretive. So they had to like overcome that nonsense. And of course, they paid so much money for this billions of dollars, which makes no sense. So anyway, so right now it's kind of working for them. And what's what's crazy is what will happen, this is my prediction, is that they will have a series of announcements all year around mobile, which will maybe or may not be attributed to this glue acquisition. But regardless, the spin and, and the PR machine is going to keep working overdrive to show that they are actually making efforts in mobile. And that that's the value of this acquisition for them, right? There's not other, many other companies that could have used that as a value the way EA is. So anyway, that's kind of my thinking on it right now. I do have yeah. to say, as somebody that sits in a lot of presentations from investment bankers, I would just happy to no longer have to see the glue logo and PowerPoint presentations. <laughs> <laughs> And have to talk about why it is or isn't a good idea for me or my company or the industry. So I'm just glad they found a home and we can move on. All right. The final thing I've got to say about this, and I really want to get Chris's perspective. I don't know if you can, but these EA has been sitting on $4 billion in cash for a decade, a decade. And then the two acquisitions they make are Codemasters and Glue. I mean, what is going on? Like it blows my mind. And that's what my investment guys are like, Dude, you guys have been sitting around on your hands. You could have gotten after all these companies like Graham and, and Small Giant, all the things that Zynga picked up. And you've just now you're buying glue and Codemasters. It's like, it's, it's, they that's didn't have the one Chris. Thing. <laughs> I would not have spent $4 billion that way. I, I, I was busy spending almost that much in a much different way. And it, it turned out pretty well. Uh, and maybe one last point, like, so there is some sort of word on the street in terms of like leadership shuffle at Glue. Uh, Eric, sounds like you think there's there will be a shuffle. And I know we've talked privately uh, privately about some of the stuff I've heard. Chris, from your perspective, what, what do you think, how do you think that plays out? Do, do you think that existing, you know, for EA4 mobile, does that stay put? Does Jeff Karp bring in a team? Uh, and kind of lead the charge? What do you think happens there? So I'll just talk in the abstract in terms of what just makes sense on paper, right? So okay. whether, you know, to, you know to take it out of the, of the equation of glue plus EA, just put two companies together of those kinds of characteristics and what you need to accomplish, which is you need to show a positive return on your investment. Uh, and you have to, to Eric's point, you know, create an environment where it is at the very least not dilutive and at the very best continually accretive. And what you do is you just get rid of duplicity, right? You, you, you layer the, the small organization under your map and you see what's duplicitous, especially things that are more commoditized like management and back office and administration and central staff. And you really, if it was me, I would be leaning into and doubling down on the, the, the real gems in the, at the studio level and make sure they stay around for a long time and are incentivized to run the continue to improve the running of the live games and continue to invest in, in bringing great new ideas to the table. But synergy to me in this case can be easily realized without a lot of friction and in a really relatively short period of time, just looking at it abstractly. So. Can I translate that a little bit there? <laughs> <laughs> it is remarkable to me to listen to Chris talk about these sorts of things. And I said this the last time we got on, it's like, he is so freaking nice, you know? So basically what they're gonna do is they have to make the margins work, right? They have to get the cost under freaking control. So they're gonna keep the development teams and they're gonna get rid of the rest, you know, for the most part. I think that's what's likely going to happen, but but but, but we shall see, right? We shall see. Um, I think the one thing about, the one, the one thing you guys have to understand about um, uh, executing on a vision of synergy is that it, it, it it's, you know, there, there are humans involved in this, right? And it's not just what I was articulating, which is numbers and dollars and cents, right? And, and you're, you're talking about a company culture. You're talking about a company identity and a brand and a way of doing business and, you know, treating them like numbers on a, on a page, on a spreadsheet, you know, and, 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 you know, hitting copy and paste or delete or whatever the case may be. It's, you know, there's, there's a lot more uh, subtlety that has to go on and a lot more, uh, you know, friendly treatment um, that you have to em embark on in order to make the, the, the culture and, and the, the vibe stay positive. You can't just wave the proverbial wand and just say, Hey, you know, day two, you know, this, this third or this half of the layer, you guys are gone. Here's your check. Goodbye. Because that has a downward ripple effect on the rest of the organization that came with. So 
it's, you know, these, these kinds of things are never easy. They're never pleasant, but they can be done in a way that's, that's sensible and, and friendly and right. And so I expect six months from now, you'll six to nine months from now is when you'll probably start hearing more, but not before then, because it just, it, it just needs to be done properly. Right. And that's like, you know, sorry. And, and I do it. I, I, I'm just obnoxious just to be obnoxious, but no, I know these transition teams are in place. The transition plans are in place. Like there's people responsible for this at the HR level, finance level. Like, I mean, I've done these transactions before too, and you're right. It's, it has to be done tactfully. I am just, my, my, my job is to figure out what is the ultimate result in six months, like what will likely happen in six months. So I can actually articulate that to investors and say, Hey, this is not that bad of an acquisition from a valuation perspective, because these quote unquote synergies will will occur and and they will make a much more lean organization that will contribute. So I uh, I flippantly say these things and I know I probably upset people that work at Glue, but I'm just saying that is what the result will be. And it has now, to be. Chris, Chris is Chris has now officially tempered me a little bit. All right. <laughs> this is this is good. This might work. All right, and then maybe now shifting topics to Zynga and. Chris, obviously there's there's probably gonna be a bunch of things you can't talk about, but very interesting news in terms of some of the announcements with respect to ha having Zynga start to you know, expand into ad tech, for example, and uh, the plan to kind of buy ad, ad tech companies like uh, you know, DSPs, SSPs, mediation, yeah. MMP, and then also the recent announcement of buying that um, the studio in Can or actually is it Seattle or San Francisco? The, uh, the San Francisco, console? and I think a right, little right. presence in Austin too. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. So, Eric, Chris, what, what do you think? I, I mean, I've already I've already created other videos that talk about this stuff. I am <laughs> I am so uninterested in them doing this like vertical integration with ad tech stuff. So I'm not even going to talk about it because I don't really care. I am actually kind of excited about getting the, uh, oh my God, I forgot the name of the game. Ah, Torchlight. Torchlight. I kind of like the idea of getting the Torchlight team. It feels like a, you know, an aqua hire for the most part. It doesn't really feel like an acquisition. It seems like they may be struggling to some degree because the second game didn't do all that well, but they're a good team and they built a pretty good game. And if you're going to make a shot on goal of doing a free-to-play cross-platform PC RPG slash mobile, that's not a bad place to do. And you, you, in that sense, there is a lot of synergies, right? Because you have like this huge resource in front of you with all this money to invest in teams and, you know, bringing in your mobile expertise and free-to-play expertise. And they could actually create something pretty cool. And that's a good way of, of you know, testing the waters and getting their feet wet on, on a PC slash free-to-play. On the flip side, the natural motion announcement of a game on, on, uh, on, uh, on Switch. Nintendo's Switch makes no sense to me. That's just that is this PR nonsense. But this actually, I kind of like. I kind of like it. I'm uh, I'm excited about that. Um, I'll let uh, you comment on the ad tech stuff. Well, I I, I think yeah, I, I think what you guys have to um, pay attention to is you know Frank and team have been so tremendously consistent in their messaging around laying the foundation and the groundwork for what's to come. If you like Eric does, I'm sure listens with bated breath on their earnings calls. Um, you know, they continue to throw out nuggets and drop, you know, you know, drop knowledge and information on the market in terms of where they're going. And the great thing about that team is they they do what they say and they say what they do. And um, it's no surprise that, you know, they're looking deeper in the ad business because they've said all along that, you know, advertising is a material part of their business and it's important to them. And and words with friends has been important and Rollick games is important. And so with the, you know, with the looming changes that are happening in our ecosystem with IDFA, with the, the kind of moves that Applum has made, it, it makes people really stand up and take notice and, and reevaluate and perhaps recalibrate what it means to be a gaming company uh, going yeah. forward, you know? And, and so the, the walls collapsing, you know, in our ecosystem on multiple fronts, whether it's, advertising versus game development, whether it's, you know, uh, platforms, like we just talked about with that, with, with that acquisition. These are all things that, that are part of what a company should be thinking about as they're trying to continue to uh, uh, stay as a market leader or be relevant in this ever-shifting landscape. And so I think, you know, regardless of whether it's an interesting topic or not, it's relevant to the Zynga business because they have put a stake in the ground long ago on advertising as a, as a revenue stream and business model. And so they need to uh, obviously, you know, continue to grow into that. And the cross-platform thing has been 
something that has been near and dear to, to the team's heart there for a while. And so it's just great to see them continuing to execute. Even right, without, so, even without me there, uh, which is, which is the sad part, but, uh, but I'm, yeah. I'm super happy for them. And so man, maybe, so we don't put you in too sensitive of a situation, Chris, but in terms of that, that bigger trend, and then it seems like we're talking about two trends. One is the vertical integration between studios and ad tech. And on that side, I, I think there's two directions you can go, right? Which is content companies acquiring ad tech companies. And so whether it's like a, you know, a Playtica, a Playrix or a wildlife trying to move into that, in that direction, similar to Zynga, similar, you know, um, in that way, then kind of going from ad tech to content like AppLovin has done. And so potentially seeing a company like, you know, obviously a company like IronSource makes sense to move in that direction. Do you guys have any thoughts in terms of speculation as far as bigger movements that'll be happening? Mm. You mean as between game developer publishers and ad tech companies, like yes. who, who makes sense? Look, I mean, I think, I think, I think the thing that um, is important to know too, is that you don't, you don't necessarily need to be thinking only at the, the, the top of the spectrum of ad tech companies, right? I mean, those ad tech companies in and of themselves are extremely valuable. They operate on business models that are in some ways completely antithetical to a game developer publisher. Uh, operate on different margin structures. You know, the, there's a lot of, you know, I think Eric and I have talked about this before. I've always had this notion, gnawing notion in the back of my head. And the, I think it's somewhat outdated because the market has now indicated that it doesn't matter anymore. But I used to be really nervous about game companies getting into owning and operating ad tech because as an M&A guy, I would imagine going after a target that would be, that's in the ad tech space that would expect full value as they should for the business that they've built. Right, and that business that they built means servicing companies that are ostensibly your competitors, right? And so you, as a game developer publisher, come in and buy an ad ad tech company, and all of a sudden those clients are looking like they did at AppLovin for a while and said, "Why am I going to continue to pump money in through this channel? Because I'm lining the pockets of now a competitor, right. and now now they're going to get my my access to data from my games to feed their business." And we had heard, you know. Uh, uh, insights and stories of game companies pulling spend from AppLovin, but then eventually relinquishing to the broader pressures of the UA ecosystem and saying, you know what, I can't not spend there because they, in many cases, perform very well as a channel. And that just shows how beholden the industry has become on user acquisition and, and, and ad networks. And, you know, companies perhaps want to change that and flip the script a little bit and become a little more self-reliant uh, on building a, an extendable ecosystem for their own titles. Um, and use methodologies that can still uh, uh, generate some meaningful data from users while they're in that publisher ecosystem to, to kind of, uh, you know, hedge against the, 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 the downside risk of IDFA. So there's, you know, you, you, you can create a great ad network without having to buy at the top. Um, so there's, you know, there's all sorts of different ways to approach it. But I do think that all those companies you listed have uniformly validated in the market, even though it's uninteresting to Crest, that it's necessary to look at as, as an adjunct to your business. Right. If you're spending a lot of money in advertising and or if you're making material money in advertising, it's important to have that, whatever you want to call ad tech as, and it comes in many different shapes and sizes um, and forms, but it is important to have as a fundamental aspect of a scaled business. Right. And it might be good for our audience to understand that there's actually potentially two motivations, right? So there's there's one motivation in terms of and we can talk about this in, in, a, in a minute, as far as like M&A targets, are there, where, like for a company like Zynga, how are they going to get additional growth if a lot of the targets are, if there aren't, if there's just not a lot of targets for them? And the second thing is to the point that you made, Chris, in terms of IDFA deprecation, if, for example, uh, so, so one theory is that by buying an MMP, for example, because they have access to a lot of data and ARPU profiles against a lot of different types of games, if you could, for example, within the context of Apple's SKAD network, take an early conversion event and be able to map that to the data again that MMPs have so that you can kind of try and understand, well, this conversion event probably means we're going to see this kind of uh, ARPU profile, then that data could potentially be used uh, to create competitive advantage, so there, there are. Yeah, and not, don't forget also that you know publishers are, are are looking at IDFV as some kind of additive you know ingredient right. in this mix, right? So then that's another yeah, that plot point, right? Once a user is in your publisher ecosystem, mm -hmm. 
um, then you you have that trackability while they're while while they're in your portfolio of games. So I think it's just a way for the industry to try and cobble together um, what will eventually be uh, more um, more stable solutions in the face of Apple and potentially Google, um, you know, not not providing that uh, data directly. Yeah, and I think the industry implication. I'm I'm probably most concerned about MMPs whether we're going to have an independent because there, there's just not that many out there at scale, right? There's like there's Apps Flyer, Tension, Singular. You know, you, you take a couple of those out and you're basically yeah. But then what does the industry do, right? If we're so reliant on UA as an acquisition source, right, and using those those channels or those pipes to acquire users, like there's again, it's it's it goes back to like a real old analogy, which is you know back in the days when when Valve you know, uh, started getting traction with steam, you know, their competitors were like, why am I going to put my game up in this, uh, in this store? Because I'm now feeding, you know, feeding valves, you know, development capabilities to keep competing with me, but there were no other alternatives. And so you're just kind of stuck at some point. I think the same is true as a loose analogy in the UA ecosystem, you just have to go to where the, the, you know, with the channels that bring you the best users and you, worry less, I guess you're forced to worry less about the implications of them taking your money and your data. Okay. And Eric's bored. <laughs> I think right. we lost so yeah, let, let's, let's move on to the next topic, which is- maybe- Hey, how about glue? So continuing, maybe actually to push on that theme about, you know, are there a lot of MA targets left? How much more can existing studios continue to grow through MA? So maybe one, uh, Chris, do you have any thoughts in terms of the relative positioning strength of companies like Stillfront, Embracer, EG7, those, those, the the what I'm guess I'm calling the, the consolidators? And then also this view in terms of are there good MA targets left or you know from a supply perspective, do we not have that many? And you know, what I, I think I mentioned to you before, Chris, that you know, when I spoke to Embracer. And and Lars, Lars actually feels like there's actually plenty of targets, plenty of companies out there. And so, what what do you think? Man, this is the longest I've seen Crest be quiet. So I'm, I'm almost <laughs> tempted. I'm almost I tempted actually, to turn I'm the mic over breath. to him. I want to for... hear how you respond to this. All right, I want to hear the spin, dude. Spin it. <laughs> so here's what I'll say. I, I think that Lars is correct as it relates to his his approach to M&A. And, and, and you know, my, my, my answer to the notion of there not being uh, sufficient quality targets is that's kind of an overstatement because there are so many ways to define what a great target is for a single company at that moment in time. Some of it is just pure scarcity, supply, demand, whatever, but some of it is filling specific needs. Like the, the most recent uh, deal that Zynga just announced is probably nowhere close in size or scope to what Peak was or any of the other ones, but it filled a very strategic need. Right, and so they're they're executing that in this particular cycle. Lars is a holding company, like an IAC Interactive Corp was and is in, in web businesses, and he just is filling the 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 trough with as many farm animals as he can of different sizes, and hopefully he has a real good working farm. But he is not he is not running a business model or a playbook like Zynga, which is trying to create a, a harmonious ecosystem where one plus one can equal three in the near term. He's just a holding company that's bringing all these great businesses together and allowing them to operate pretty much independently of each other. And hopefully some organic goodness comes out of them being in the same company. But there isn't anything at the parent company level that is that glue, right? That that allows for these companies to all of a sudden rally around a central point of goodness or of benefit that they can, you know, they can see very clearly. Um, but in many cases, you know, these companies don't want it, don't need it, or had no other choice than to join. I think Stillfront, you know, runs a similar playbook. And I think if you look at the the nucleus of that company, it's a management team that just likes to run MA. There's not, you know, there's not a ton there in terms of legacy or lineage like a Zynga or a Platika, where you bring this platform or this company plumbing that you can plug into and all of a sudden you unlock all this additional value, right? But they're getting credit in the marketplace for bringing in, you know, bringing in these deals. I don't know that that's going to last. Um, but it's worked so far. I, I got to applaud Lars on doing the, the Gearbox deal. That one blew me away. I was not expecting that. But I think if I'm Randy and I believe in the health of my personal business and I own equity in a company, pretty substantial, if I, you know, it's, it's just like the, the, you know, the, the, what you saw at Zynga, where if, if you as a company that gets acquired performs and you hold equity, your equity is worth a heck of a lot more in the public markets by virtue of your performance 
And Randy probably has the utmost confidence that he's going to continue to grow at or above his, his, his past success. And so, you know, for him, that, that it's just a, 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 it's like a liquidity play, right? He gets to validate himself in the market and see the increase in value as a result. Wow. God, man. It's like a, it's like an art form with you, Chris. I mean, it's amazing. Like how you basically say the same thing I say, but you say it in such a nicer <laughs> way. And I, 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 I am just awestruck. Um, but enough of that. So I guess what I will say, I've actually heard a lot of criticism on, on both Embracer and Stillfront now across different people <laughs> that are talking about. And one of the criticisms I heard about Embracer was that Lars got up there during your podcast and he couldn't really even explain what the strategy was. You know, he was like, so I was a little bit sh sh shocked at like, like, what is the synergies? What is the, what is the way in which they're going to manage these companies that, that they, 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 that they can at least predict success. Right. But I, it was like, but isn't the, isn't the prevailing model, the decentralized model, isn't that what everyone <laughs> See, the thing about? is, I agree with the decentralized model, but I, I, what I don't agree with is not having any type of controls on, on these companies and leaving them to their devices. Right. So it just didn't seem like he even had that even as a contemplation of, of how to, keep these guys on task, right? Not to let it go off the rails, right? And so, and the other big point I'll make on the Gearbox thing, and I actually agree with Chris. I mean, out of all the transactions they've done, Gearbox, that guy Pitchford is a, is a lunatic, right? I, I never thought that he would actually ever sell his company for whatever deal that he was there doing. And I understand why he's doing it from listening to him talk about it. Like, you know, he's still participating in any type of upside, but him generating enough revenue to justify a billion dollar payout in six years seems impossible, as I've said before. But uh, let's let's see what happens. Um, but what I'm trying, what I've tried to articulate before is that look, the stock is probably down maybe forty percent, thirty percent since they've done this deal. I, I didn't check the date, but the stock is, you know, with this correction that we're seeing in, in the stay-at-home stocks, more or less. Um, you know, that stock continues to fall, right? If it goes back to a, what I would consider a reasonable valuation. You know, like, um, is he going to be as motivated, right? You know, because that's, you know, he's a lot of his ownership is in that. And so what happens with all these deals that they've done over the last six months in which, you know, they've seen their stock, this meteoric rise, and now we're seeing a correction as, as we often see. So that, that's, that where, that's where things could just completely fall apart if people are not motivated by, you know, by, uh, by, you know, the performance of the stock. So anyway, I am, both these companies scare me a little bit in terms of their long-term viability, but, um, and both have- I, I think to your point on, let, let me just speak on the decentralization thing, because I think one thing that, that we, we need to remember in that equation is that decentralization is a prevailing wind and it is a good thing. And we see it happening in M&A across the, whether it's Platika, Zynga, Embracer, Stillfront, wherever. But you also have to realize the other side of that coin is that for all the decentralization that, that happens and for all that goodness that inures to the benefit of the developer, the developer also wants to know that when they need help, that help is there, right? Because we what we know in this industry is that success is not guaranteed and it's not linear and it's and, and, and it's hard. And so to, to be in an environment where all of a sudden you have something going wrong with your game or something going wrong with your economy or something going wrong with your customer service or something going wrong with your live operations, and then who do you turn to in those environments, right? Do you, you, you wanna to turn to the parent and say, mom, dad, help, like I need help. And can you send me some, some knowledge? Can you share with me your wisdom? Can we troubleshoot this together? Can we borrow some engineers and PMs that have gone through this before? Can we look at your data to see, or you look at our data to see what, what, what's been going on? And then that parent comes in and, and helps uh, uh, triage the issue and then goes back away. And that's that to me is the is, is a much better harmonious model than than complete decentralization where you can't turn to anybody for help uh, right. because we all need it. Another great example of this is is something that we I did at EA at Kabam and 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 I'm sure Zynga is that let's say one of these teams really wants to get a license from Marvel, right? Where's the resources for them to do that? Do they have to spin up their own legal team, right? Is there any centralized resource whatsoever that they can go to and say, hey, we really need you to negotiate this for me? Or are they kind of at their own mercy, right? Um, and when you have more sophisticated people doing that, then the license, first of all, it's hard to even get the audience for the license 
per se, but if you have no leverage, right? And so like, anyway, there's all kinds of deals that get done behind the scenes to help facilitate building shit, right? And and without that kind of resource, and that's what scared me about Lars. It's like, that wasn't even part of his thinking at all, it seemed. It was just like more, hey, we're this is not a consolidation. We're just, you know, building teams, man, building teams, you know, like, yeesh. Well, you know, they, that's they, the, the they business did say they have... They did say they have like a peer tribe network where they're collaborating and sharing best yeah, practices. You like can't that. run a team with, you can't run a fucking company with Slack for, for, for fuck's sake, <laughs> right? Like you got, you got to have some central shit going on to, to manage this stuff. And so like, it's just, it's, it's a little bit scary. It's just it's for me. And maybe it's because I'm so like traditional in my, in my thinking. And I, I just, I can't think out of the box. Like I'm not very googly, right. Per se, but like, it just scares me. Like, like when, when, so, and the other thing I, I, I want to say is like, things are going well, right? Right now, because the stock's up, everything's, what happens when things start go bad, right? When's when products don't ship, you know, like, yeah. you know, they get sued, you know, like what, what, what who's going to, who's going to pick up the pieces, man? You know, you know like, it's interesting. It, I've, I've had a similar, I've had a similar concern slash observation around um, app love. And although you can't really deny with, with, you know, how they've been able to execute up until now, but my concern there has been, again, similar to what I just said, which is, they are great at bringing in companies with live games and, and helping them optimize their UA, right? And, 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 and leveraging the data. But what happens when those studios want to create the next new game? Like who do they turn to for help? Yeah. Like who, who at App Lovin has, has a history of making games and can help them through the, the, the game development framework process and the green light process and sourcing and every, like all the stuff that goes in, as you know, uh, better than I do, but it's, you know, what happens yeah. there? I, I totally agree with you, Chris. And not, I'll, I'll add one other additional nuance that where I think AppLovin is going to have problems is that as it is kind of an advertising company and being more focused on top of funnel, I think they're going to understand a lot of the ways to compete and to gain competitive advantage for casual games and games that are closer to top of funnel, but for like mid-core, hardcore games with longer RPUs and being able to understand how to optimize the back end, I think they are going to really, really struggle. So well, machine did, you guys, teaching. did you guys see the S1? I mean, they, they broke out Machine Zone's revenue for one quarter in March of March of 2020. <laughs> they made 73 million in revenue and lost 108 million in, in <laughs> earnings. I mean, literally, I almost threw up on my mouth when I saw this. I was like, that is crazy. That is crazy. And they acquired this thing for 500 million. I mean, Look, those Apple Oven guys I've heard are geniuses, but when I look at this, that's scary. That's scary. Like riding that ship. <laughs> I mean, how could you lose so much money? I mean, they had a like a $73 million interest expense, right? So anyway, wow. Yeah. Wow. That is uh that is quite a uh a fall for Mr. The Machine Zone guys. Anyway, whew, I was just looking at it. Someone reminded me to look at it. I was uh, blowing okay. me away. All right. All right. But I think going back to your comment about the the targets again, you know, without without us going down the rabbit hole of naming specific names, I think the good the good news and the optimism that I have about this uh, this topic is that if our industry has shown anything, is that there's always uh, there's always new good and great products and teams that come to market, whether yeah. expected or unexpected, right? And so, yeah. you know, nobody would have thought however many years ago that Mediatonic would have been acquired by Epic because they were, their business model was mostly work for hire. Right. And yeah. now all of a sudden the industry is paying attention to companies that have done long-term work for hire engagements on the thesis that they've learned so much in the aggregate that the next time they put their efforts toward their owned and operated game, that they have a pretty good chance of making some success of it. Right. So, you know, there are, there are different incarnations of good that, that exist in the marketplace at any given day and different definitions and needs that companies have to fill the M&A funnel that, they, that, that they've created for themselves. So I, I don't agree that there's a lack of, quote unquote, good targets. It just matters how you, you know, what your definition is at that moment in time, and it always changes. Should, should we not talk about specific names? <laughs> Can I bring a few up? You can bring them up all you want. I'm just going to let let Chris talk about it. <laughs> all right, the, the the three names that come up all the time, and people keep speculating, and they're still there: tactile, wildlife, moon active. <laughs> What's going on with those guys? 
<laughs> and maybe Chris, if, if you have sensitivities, I mean, no, no, no worries. No, no, no sensitivities. No, no. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And then Chris okay. will, Chris will interpret for me in his, in his, in his words. But, uh, so by the way, three great companies that are prime examples to me of ones that are, are showing that even in a mature market, like we've been experiencing in mobile, that it's possible to create breakout businesses. I am a diehard Lily's Garden player. I mean, I continue to play every day. It's funny because my, my playing habits are Lily's Garden and then Call of Duty Mobile. And I'm pretty much max level on both. And I don't fit the profile probably of either of those games. But as Borgen and team have just built an amazing business there. Um, and I think he, you know, knowing him as I do, he has aspirations that are long-term in nature. Um, and, and he's very much all about himself, uh, proving to himself and, and his team and the community that he can continue to build great product um, and also having a, a, a wonderful place to work uh, out there in, in Copenhagen. So, you know, they're under no no pressure um, through themselves or their, or their investors to do anything. And I think they'll just keep doing what they're doing. The brothers down in Brazil built another amazing business, um, super, super smart. Um, and now they're trying to, you know, expand the, the scope of that in order to leverage what they believe that they've built kind of like network, you know, with like a publishing platform. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and then Moon Active, another business that just created some innovation around an existing game mechanic, um, raised a lot of money. And now, you know, they're, they're on their way to doing whatever they want. So, you know, I think in all those cases, they are not lacking for inbound interest. I think if they're right. doing the right thing, they're staying focused and continuing to grow value in those businesses um, until there's a natural inflection point. But I don't think they're so early. Their investors are so early. Nobody's pushing them to sell uh, unless they just get some crazy offer that is five times more than what they're currently valued at. So I don't see them transacting anytime soon. Eric, any thoughts? I don't know. I'm starting to, I'm, I, I, I... I don't know. My my, it's more like kind of the investment thesis around the around the space right now is that like we feel to be like we hit the tippy top, you know, uh, a few months ago, and we could be headed into a more of a, a a drought in terms of valuations. And if I were any of these companies, I'd want to sell. Like you have to remember, and back, I'm sorry, back to this <laughs> machine zone thing. <laughs> they were they were worth five billion at one point, right? They got bought for 500 million and I'm like questioning 500 million, you know? And so like, there's a, there's a time when you have to basically pull the ripcord and say, Hey, look, this is as good as it gets. And, you know, maybe they're fiercely independent. They want to do their own thing and, and, and control their own destiny, but ain't going to get much better than this. I don't think I'm even like when I, we did a call on Roblox and, and, you know, Roblox is going public next Wednesday, evidently. Um, and I think there's just there's actually a little bit more hate against Roblox because <laughs> their their targeted growth is 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 relatively meager compared to what they've done in the past, and so like like sentiment change. I, I guess what people have to understand is sentiment changes like and it always does. You know there there was a motion when when EA was at fifteen dollars a share. It's like at one four one thirty now, right? Because people didn't believe there was going to be a next gen console cycle, right? They thought mobile was going to take over the world, right? And so. Anyway, so I think all this fervor around the industry is a little bit frightening. It's a little re a reminder of the times before the crash the last time. So anyway, I don't know much about specifically about these particular companies. I'm sure Chris knows a lot more about these guys than I do, but uh, it, it, is, it is a time, right? And if glue goes for 2.1 billion, then Jesus, sell. No, Jesus Christ. That's crazy. I think the interesting thing is, you know, there, there's kind of a, a, a dichotomy going on here, which is, you know, the there's a perception that valuations are continuing to increase. Although I, I think buyers, because there is a limited market of buyers and all of those buyers ultimately have to be beholden to smart transactions that can show accretiveness over time. So they have an artificial ceiling beyond which they're not going to go, which, and if any company is looking for beyond what, what the buyer's market dictates, uh, you can call it a seller's market, but at the end of the day, the more aggressive you are in your self-valuation, the fewer, fewer, uh, you know, uh, buyers that there will be there to bite. And then when you have a limited playing field, then you can go through a process that doesn't make its way through. And then all of a sudden you're, you're kind of tainted because if one buyer passed on you, then why would other buyers be interested, right? Something's got to be wrong, so to speak. But I've always, I've, I've been fascinated by this dichotomy of, 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 I, I would have thought that going into 2021, that. M&A would have been holding its collective breath or at least taken a little step back 
to to let the IDFA dust settle right. um, and recognizing that if you go too too much in on on an acquisition at a premium and then that business gets affected by IDFA in 2021, I would have expected for some of the big guys to hit, just hit the pause button a little bit and wait for the dust to settle before deploying capital again at the at the stages that, or at the levels that we're talking about. Yeah, I would. That, yeah, me too. <laughs> okay. What about some of these smaller names? Now, there's a bunch of names at, at kind of the, the 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 smaller size, right? By guys like let's say Cybo, Nordcurrent, Pixel Federation, Zepto Lab, Nordius. Guys like that. Anyone in that range that's more interesting than others? Any thoughts on some of those names? Yeah. Again, I'm going to go in. I'm going to put my M and A hat on and just talk about how I think about the world, uh, both these specific companies and companies like them. So I think, a, I'm going to look at whether it fits with my stated goals and strategy for this moment in time. Mm-hmm. B, I'm going to look at the 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 um, the fundamentals of that business. C, sadly enough, in this age of COVID, I'm also going to consider whether and to what extent I as a company am well-equipped to manage a remote team that in some cases may be in a, in a, in a more sensitive geopolitical area like Zeptolab. Um, and, and then D, just how are those businesses going to fare in, in, in this, in what Chris and I were just talking about and joking about, which is this IDFA uncertainty. Um, so all of those companies have their own merits. Uh, what I like about most of them that you listed is that they've been around for a long time and withstood the test of time. Some of them have had rockier roads than others. Um, I, I think Zeptolab was early success, followed by you know maybe not as much success. Nordcurrent has just been slow and steady the whole time. Nordius has just demonstrated that they're excellent in, in sports. Uh, they've experimented with other categories, but are ultimately staying true to, to, to soccer or football. Um, and also, you're mentioning companies that by and large are in these far reaches of the world outside of the typical centers of excellence, which, which is where I fished a lot, right, during Zynga. Like, we went all over the world and found the best talent, and it shows you that the talent can be anywhere. Um, but that also brings with it some risks. If you're not operationally set up to manage remote teams, COVID or otherwise, you know, that's – and I think I think in this age of COVID, I think I talked with you guys once before, I was, I was always concerned about um, the inability to – to get on planes and go around the world and establish relationships and meet people and have dinner with them and their families and get to know them and talk shop and really establish that relationship that you need as the dating precursor to eventually marrying through M&A and doing, I've been just phenomenally um, uh, impressed with the level of M&A that's happened that's had to be virtual and the dollars that have transacted on a virtual level. Like that to me, I never would have thought that it would happen. And have, we'll have seen deals that ultimately, hopefully, will become as successful as they are are positioned to be. But you know, I I, I guess I was proven wrong on that. But I still believe that nothing. There's no substitute for that kind of um, long term relationship longevity as as getting, you know, getting face to face and getting in there in the business and and understanding it backwards and forwards. So those uh, some of those targets are are tough for some because of how far away they are and and where they're located. But um, they're ultimately the you know the merits of their business. You, you can't you can't deny them. All right. Uh, so maybe I could just ask, so just talking about geographically safe region, I'll just give you two more names. Our, our neighbors in Canada, two companies I'm very surprised have not already been taken out. That first is Ludia and the second is Behavior Interactive. What, do you guys have thoughts on these guys? Chris? I, I, no, I, this, is not my, this is not my bag. I, I focus on the publicly traded companies, not all these little ones. I do know right, something well, about these guys, but I really, yeah, go ahead. Well, I will say. Um, hold hold on a minute, though. Just give yeah. me a second. So, you know, this is Petrofix's business, right? He's like boiled the ocean for like a decade. No, longer than that, 15 years, right? And so you're just getting, you're, you're, you're learning how the sausage is made, you know? Like you're getting you all, extracting the value that he's created over a 15-year career in this bullshit, right? <laughs> so just just be clear on what you're asking. <laughs> Go ahead. So on those two, I love I love Canada. Um, different parts of the country have different economic benefits, right, at a governmental level, which is tremendous that companies can take advantage of. I've always felt that Montreal, I know I know that's where behavior is. Ludia, I, Ludia, I don't believe is in Montreal, if I remember uh, they, right. They are in Montreal. Oh, they are in Montreal. So anyway, so then it further goes to, to, to my point that in North America, that was always in my top two or three locations of centers of excellence for gaming. Um, maybe not as broad-based in terms of you know going beyond console and PC and really uh, leading the charge on free-to-play and mobile, but I think they're starting to catch up. But Behavior Interactive is, what, 600 people? 
Um, there aren't too many companies on the M&A track that are looking to add 600 people to their business. I don't care how good or profitable. And by the way, you also have a business that's a mixed business model, right? Work for hire, plus some owned and operated. Um, that's also complex because, you know, I, I, I never spent a lot of time looking at companies that were, that didn't own their IP um, or, or even companies that own their IP, but had publishing deals with my competitors. That also, you know, for me personally, it created a filter, uh, a bias um, again. So those kinds of, you know, and, and Ludia, I think has been owned by, um, uh, what was it? Uh, it's like a Hollywood Mental? studio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, you know, and they've been around for a while. So who knows if they're, you know, how they're available and what that would look like to to, to do a carve out. So there are always complexities uh, around the details, right? And that's why I said earlier, nuance, there's nuance in all this that's super important. But again, can't deny the merits of the business, but their profiles aren't necessarily um, neat and clean and, and, and easy to digest. All right. Well, you know, I, I thought this, I think we could wrap it up here, guys, unless you have a final message for the audience. But yeah, I, I thought we had a good discussion, kind of went, went up and down the, the major issues. <laughs> well, ironically, just to go back to uh, to the the uh, you know shameless plug for a second, you know, I think yeah. one of the things that's exciting for me at the FunPlus side is we're actually focusing a lot more on the earlier stage side, because that's where the company has had historical success, which is investing in great talent, both inside the company and out. And FunPlus has had a history of, of doing early stage investments. And that's where I'm focusing a lot of my efforts in the near term while, you know, keeping an eye on the, on the long-term, you know, potential for doing M&A. But, you know, we are very genre focused on things like uh, strategy, casual, RPG, open world sandbox. And we're looking at great teams that are looking for value add capital, that are looking for potentially publishing assistance, um, that are looking for new markets to be opened, uh, you know, west or east. Um, and that's where, that's actually where we're really getting into the sausage making. Cause you're starting to really, you know, like, like your company with Leela, it's just great to see, you know, new companies sprouting out and still invested in this ecosystem and still passionate about making games and still seeing a pathway to success. So, um, I think this, this year for all the pause that may happen at the top, I think a lot of great products are going to come out and services that, you know, from, from the ground up, um, as they're scaling into this uncertainty of, of, of IDFA and, Maybe by the time they launch in 2022, that there'll be a new paradigm or a new floor for 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 what the UA landscape looks like, and then we'll be back, you know, back to our normal cadence, and and Crest can breathe again, you know, once uh, once kind of this IDFA you know, apocalypse is is behind us. <laughs> what do you um uh are you looking at both uh, mobile and console PC, or is it primarily mobile, or what's what's your? Kind I mean, of obviously, FunPlus today is a mobile company, but I have a soft spot in my heart for cross-platform. I know I've been talking about that in, to anybody that listen in industry for the last several years, and I really believe that there are companies out there that will crack that code, um, and I'm I'm all in on that. So you know, uh, cross-platform is something that I, I'm deeply uh, deeply passionate about. All right, sounds good. Sounds like fun. Okay. I'm joyous, yeah, last, qu last question for me. How do you like Switzerland so far? <laughs> Switzerland's great, man. Hey, my kids are actually physically in school and I've, I, I, any direction I look, there's the snow capped Alps and we're outdoors all the time. So um, awesome. that would not be the case uh, at, at my old stomping grounds where fire season is now a, yeah. a thing and kids are still distance right. learning. So I, I cannot complain and my, my, you know, super, super fortunate to be here. Well, we'll have to come out there and visit one day. You can show us around. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Actually, apparently my office is in Crypto Valley, so I'm I'm starting to get a crash course in all things crypto and blockchain from the the nerve center of uh, uh of that. That's a whole other category. That's a whole other topic. So, all right, NFTs, well, baby. It's all NFTs. <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, thanks. I think that's it. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Awesome. See you guys soon.